Hello, and welcome to Supply Chain Next. I'm your host, Richard Donaldson. Join me as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges practitioners face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. And I am super excited here to have Mary-Kate Love on the show. Hey, Mary-Kate. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I... I I also want to make sure that people understand that not only are you here and, you know, amazing just to show up and share a podcast, but you're pretty far along pregnant. <laughs> so I just want to make sure if people are watching or listening, yes, they realize you can't, that you are, you can't you're doing this under here duress. <laughs> yeah, you can't see from here down. So sometimes I have to remember that when I'm on these Teams calls and Zoom calls, people don't know. So I like right. to surprise them with, I'm 34 weeks pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> And trust me, that is a great, you are by far, so out of 34, 35 episodes, you are a first, no question. Look at that. Right? Look so at you that. Are, you're already a vanguard in the space, right? Right, in, right, right. You've already done That's it. That's awesome. You're breaking That's the mold. Awesome. A and first I, and ever. I, and I think some people, you know, they play music and things like that to their unborns to kind of influence them. Now they you're do. like podcasting with your unborn. So they're invariably right. going to come out and be talking supply chain supply and sustainability chain. and stuff. Right. They're going to be like super interested in supply chain and sustainability and probably be on the podcast episode maybe in 25 years. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, all right, so let's let's just jump right into it. Um, you know, and, and as always, would love to just get a little bit of background on who you are and kind of where you came from and, you know, just give us, give us a little overview of who Mary-Kate Love is. Yeah, so um, I feel like I've, you know, my career makes sense to me, but maybe if you saw it, you'd be like, how does this all fit together? But I'm from the South side of Chicago. So from Chicago originally, um, went to the University of Illinois, just two hours south of Chicago. And um, from there, I joined startups in Chicago. So we can kind of dive into that a little bit later, but joined a really cool startup in Chicago that was formed under former President Obama, mm-hmm. um, that the focus was on digital manufacturing and supply chain. And then um, from there, jumped over to Georgia Pacific, which was you know, very interesting jump because I had been, you know, so enamored by the startup world. And I said, you know, my next job, I wanted to be at another startup. I love a startup. And then I joined Georgia Pacific, which is a huge company owned by one of the largest privately held companies, Coke Industries. Um, But I joined them to start an innovation initiative in supply chain. And then most recently, I just made the jump from Georgia Pacific over to Coke Disruptive Technologies, which is a venture capital team under Coke. So still inside of Coke Industries. Um, so have been at Coke Industries, either at Georgia Pacific or KDT the last few years. And, and given a shout out to the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, right? Definitely yeah. got to do that. And the program's out there because trust me, I'm going to take John Corton and make sure he hears this and links to this yes. and all the people that are over there. But uh, what did you study in under, I mean, University of Illinois is a really interesting school and yeah, I'm always fascinated by it because it's, it's this little gem that sits in the Midwest. You know, if you know yeah. engineering and business and innovation, it's one of the top schools in the country. Um, but not oftentimes people recognize that. So what did you, what Agreed. did you study and kind of get into it in undergrad there? Yeah, that's totally, I totally agree with you. I think people in Chicago and Illinois understand, you know, what an awesome school it is, but outside of it, I think it is just a little bit different. So interestingly enough, I didn't study tech or supply chain, wasn't even on my radar. I actually attended an all-girls school and um, junior year, this is the weirdest story, but I swear this is why I chose my major. Junior year, my teachers told us, hey, there's, I think it was 16% of women in Congress today. And I was just so confused by that stat. I I was like, why is it so low? I don't understand. And so I actually declared my major as political science because I really liked this idea of kind of connected communities and leadership and, you know, how do you get people to work better together, you know, for common common goals, um, Mm -hmm. which has been kind of the common thread throughout my career. So I actually majored in political science of all things. Okay. Um, But obviously have always had this kind of penchant for technology and innovation and was involved in a few different things on campus, but my major was actually political science. Okay. So how did you go from poli sci then to startups after graduation? I I heard the Obama connection, but maybe there's a little story there as well. Yes, yes. There's always a little story. So actually, so I graduated um, when we were, you know, it was 2011. So it was kind of a crazy time to find jobs. So I actually 
ended up working for about a year at the high school I attended. So okay. all girls school, um, South side of Chicago. And we were the first all girls school in the nation to implement project lead the way, which is an engineering program. And so we, um, all freshmen would take an engineering class and most of the young women at the school ended up taking it all four years. And mm-hmm. so project lead the way, I had met some people, you know, through implementing this program to say, hey, there's this really cool new startup that's going to, you know, if President Obama chooses Chicago, we're going to get this startup that is partially funded by the um, United States Department of Defense and partially funded by large companies like Siemens, Caterpillar, and John Deere. Hmm. The idea behind this kind of institute was to um, basically rise the tide, lift all the boats in U.S. manufacturing and do that through collaborative innovation projects. Okay. So I joined the team. I think I was like the fifth or sixth person on that team. And we eventually grew to about 50 people and it still exists in Chicago today. It's called MXD Manufacturing Times Digital. And it's a really, really unique innovation center that um, does a lot of great work to um, basically kind of integrate new technology in manufacturing. So some of that, a big focus is supply chain, but we did kind of other projects as well with workforce development and things like that. Interesting. So so that then sort of by happenstance allowed you to then open the doors towards supply chain. Yeah. And clearly there's a segue now then into Georgia Pacific because to go from sort of startup, like you said, and I, I can, I can, so I, I, I have an affinity towards the story here because I used to have always been in startups and then I joined mm-hmm. a big company, eBay, in my own career. And that was a pretty big transition. So how it did is, you go right? from a startup to one of the bigger companies in the world, Georgia Pacific? Yeah. Know? And why you did you make that transition? Do a whole episode on the differences between working in oh, a startup and a big company. Yep. So different, right? Um, so I was at the startup for about four years. And if okay. you know startup world, that's a long time. I it's think an eternity. Was of, yeah, it's an eternity, right? Yeah. So um, I'm kind of just getting to the point where I'm like, okay, what's next? And Georgia Pacific came in for basically a meeting and a tour. And they were one of my accounts they had worked closely with. So I kind of took them on this tour and said like, here's how we did it. Here's what I would have done differently if we were setting it up again. Here's our lessons learned. And they were like, that's great. Okay, do you want to work with us and help us build this in Atlanta? And so that was, it was crazy. It was like the perfect time. And I met the perfect people and they built, we built out for a number of years at Georgia Pacific, kind of an internal innovation capability that allowed a company like Georgia Pacific, as large as it was, to find startups and smaller companies to partner with on pilot projects because you know, I had been on the other side. I had been at the startup that found it so hard to just say, can we please just do this project that's going to be, you know, $20,000 at mm-hmm. a large company. It took forever to navigate. And so mm-hmm. then I flipped to the other side, being at Georgia Pacific and really kind of set up the process to make it easier um, to work with these startups and smaller companies. And our focus was really on pilot projects um, in supply chain. So, so let's, let's talk about that for a second, because I think it's really interesting to unpack. I mean, here you are at the early stages of your career, um, you know, still developing it and, and, and have you know, amazing stuff in front of you. But, you know, to, to be to have someone like Georgia Pacific. And, and the question is, here's a large I'll call it. And why don't you take a few seconds to describe who George, when I think Georgia Pacific, I think toilet paper. But yeah. it's obviously a lot more than that. Yeah. Right. And, you know, when I think toilet paper, I'm not thinking innovation a lot innovation. of the time. <laughs> right? Right. right. So how did Georgia Pacific kind of sell you on the idea of A, joining a big company and B, enabling you to retain this sort of innovation spark, you know, because big companies can squelch innovation very quickly. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think number one, first and foremost, was their humility and honesty in saying that and saying like, we're good at a lot of things, making toilet paper and making money Mm -hmm. (laughs) are some of those things, right? But we're not good at the horizon, right? And understanding what's to come in the future. So number one, I was just very, I guess, attracted to that humility from such a big company. Later find out that, you know, humility is one of the biggest values at Coke and inside of Georgia Pacific. It's part of our values. So I was really attracted to that. And then I was just very attracted to how much they valued or understood their own supply chain. So 
I know that, you know, (coughs) these stats are kind of old, but I I think maybe last year or the year before, it's like GP spends 2 billion on shipments a year. There's 18 shipments. Yeah, shipments. Just shipments. It's not even what they're buying, shipments. Exactly. 1800 trucks coming in and out of our facilities on every, on every weekday. So, and I've seen this now, I've gotten the opportunity to travel to some of our facilities. Um, and, you know, we have, the GP had 30,000 suppliers. So when you think about those oh stats alone, it's like, gosh, if you could do a pilot project that just makes one little part of this whole process or manages our suppliers just a little bit more efficient, you could really start to see big impact. So I just really liked that they were a company that understood um, supply chain in general and just the impact that it could have if they started concentrating on it a bit more and the humility they had to say like, Hey, we're not, we're good at some things, but we're not good at everything. You well, know? That's a question because Georgia Pacific, and again, I don't think a lot of people realize, <clears throat> you know, a, how old the company is, right? If I'm not mistaken, yeah. they're kind of, uh, we're, we're closing in on almost a hundred years old. I think you're right. Yeah. I think right? you're right. And I think it was a private family founded kind of thing. So and was there, and I don't, yeah. that, well, that's my question. Is it Coke's influence that brought the humility? You know, this may predate you, but I don't know when Coke bought Georgia Pacific, but was it Coke's philosophical approach of humility that shaped what you then yeah. embraced? I love that question because I often um, would ask people who were there before Coke bought it and after and say like, what was the biggest differences? And I think um, it's interesting. Like I've heard Charles Koch speak about how when they purchased Georgia Pacific, it was kind of like leadership sat on the top and wore new, nice suits and kind of Coke came in and took more of the bottoms up approach, which is right. truly something that also sold me about Georgia Pacific and Coke is like, Hey, let's work on empowering the people at the bottom for lack yeah. of a better way to say it. Yeah. Um, and they really are true to that. And so I think, Coke practices MBM, which is market-based management. And they okay. did implement that at Georgia Pacific um, when they purchased Georgia Pacific. I'm forgetting the exact year it was, but maybe 15, look it up. 15 okay. 20 years ago. Um, okay. So they did implement the market-based management, which is very, very heavily focused on our values. Like every year, you know, I'm paid based on how I exemplify the values at um, Georgia Pacific and now Coke. And very much people are promoted based on how they exemplify the values. So it was a little, like I remember interviewing and people were talking about the values the whole time in the interview. And I was kind of like, geez, this is like, people take this very seriously here. I hadn't ever been at a company have been at companies that have values, but we don't talk about them every day. Um, with right. Georgia Pacific and Coke, you talk about them every day. It's how you pay, it's how you're paid. It's how you perform. So huh. it is really cool to see, you know, Coke own all these kind of disparate companies, but we're all we all have the same culture, if you will. Well, well and, and I, so important. So to answer your question, I cheated a little bit. So I googled in the background. Uh, Thank it was you. Tw- Twenty-one billion dollar acquisition uh, wow. in two thousand five. Okay. I was thinking, right. I remember it was like in the 2000s, but I didn't yep. know when. Yep. So, so, but I think that's important because it's that humility that is required to, you know, I think one of the things that innovators have, which a lot of people don't talk about, although I don't know if you read this guy, Adam Grant is a big, you know, uh, writer out there. He does a mm-hmm. lot of this sort of behavioral psychology stuff. It's probably like, between us and age-wise, I think probably in his early 40s, um, okay. definitely has been you know very well well regarded, and and, and I, I've known him, um, and he's awesome. He talks about this thing that I I call confident humility, right? Which is like the that. you know the it sounds like they're opposite words, but it, you can be confident in what you know how to do and confident in what you don't know how to do. That's where yes. the humility comes in, right? And when you yeah. find that magic, because most people you know are confident, you know are overconfident yep. and, 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 and are, are loath to admit what they don't know how to do. And it's like, when you learn how to admit what you don't know how to do, it actually is a strengthening kind of thing. Um, Absolutely. But it's really hard for people to get that anyway. I um, love that. We kind of call that, um, I've never heard of that, but I really like that. We call it, um, one of our values is knowledge and it's all about sure. seeking the best knowledge. So you're sure. expected to, you know, if I'm going to, you know, say do a social media campaign, 
I should be seeking the best knowledge and speaking to my colleagues at other companies who have experience in this or outside of the company too. I really like that being kind of confident in what you don't know is just as important, right? Maybe. Oh, absolutely. I think it's more important. I think it's, I mean, we can get, I can spend a whole different episode on the psychological underpinnings of that, which anyways, it's a child (laughs) syndrome. I, you know, whatever I haven't gotten into that. That's that's my part-time psychological ad. Anyways, Back here. So, so with that, you know, kind of humility and focusing on innovation and change, I mean, you have to be humble when you're going to be an innovator because you're going to mess up a bunch of times. You don't know what you're doing, yeah. you know, and so it, it just comes inexorably tied with humility, um, even yeah. though most people don't talk about that. Whereas in large established enterprises that are nearly 100 years old, there's almost this um, hubris that emerges, right? We know everything. Right. right. Um, and you have to break that barrier down if you're going to really yeah. start change. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And there's like, I'm trying to think of the numbers. I know I wrote it down somewhere, but I love this stat about it's, a, it, you've probably heard this, the S&P 500 back in 1960. Oh, here it is. In 1960, the average lifespan of a company was 60 years. In 2020, it's only 20 years. Yep, so correct. Correct. that stat really drives a lot of what I do every day and a lot of my team members because yep. it's a little bit scary. 20 so years how do, is, Oh, is 20 years, long. well, and that's getting shorter too. Let's, let's just make shorter. sure, right? Let's make sure we, because there's a lot of, I mean, this is change cycles if you increase the pot. Okay, so let's go back to Georgia Pacific for a second because again, I think also for people listening in, you know, I just want to make sure we have this. I don't think people realize the breadth of what Georgia Pacific is in. So can you just right. take a few seconds to talk about the, the breadth of the company? Because I think from yeah. your perspective, it's also interesting just to hear what you would highlight that GP does. And then I'm going to ask the same question about Coke in a bit. Yep. Yeah. So GP, like you said, toilet paper, I think that's the one we all know, right? And paper products. So Dixie. And if you kind of look up some of those other paper products, you'll see kind of our name behind it. And then also what I like to describe as GP is when you're building a house, everything that goes into building that house. So lumber, corrugated materials, um, kind of all the construction materials, we'll do that cellulose as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got, you know, a large breadth of products. Some of it is straight to consumer, but a lot of it is business to business. And so I don't think people often realize that we're kind of in the background of a lot of these um, products that don't necessarily have a brand or a consumer facing. Product. Totally. But if you common, see, if you go yeah. buy construction sites, you'll see GP a lot of times, All over. you know, if you look for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So here's, here's, where I think the bind or the tie that binds this together. So they produce a lot of products, but as far as sourcing materials, they only source a handful of things, but turn those into an infinite amount of products, right? It's a great they, way to, to summarize it. Yes. Right. Because they, because again, if you think of the funnel on one side, the input is a couple things, you know, timber, I think yep. is probably the biggest. Yeah. We're right? buying a bunch of trees over here. Yeah. Right. Whether good or bad, you know, right. that is what it is. Right. And then they're looking for alternative materials to then turn into the plethora. So out of lumber comes thousands of products from thousands, toilet paper. Unbelievable. Right. And so I and mean, we don't know. waste anything. I mean, I'm not going to exactly. pretend to be an engineer here, but um, you know, I went to a few of our facilities in the south and every part of the process, everything they take out of the tree, we reuse or we sell it or we buy it or we use it for our own energy. Um, it's just really, it really is down to a science, how well they use the resources that we purchase. And even down to, you know, every time we're buying a tree, I, I think we plant one to two trees. Maybe it's even more now too. So it's really this focus on sustainability. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. Right. And, and, and again, no one's the question isn't even, you know, I'm in fact fully supportive of all of that. I think it's more of the interesting thing to point out, though, as, an, as a, I mean, you look at the products and you look at the thousands of SKUs that GP yeah. produces, but then go to the other side, which is the input to produce those products is only like two or three things. It's true. Yeah, it is really cool to think about it. It's just a right? different process. Yeah. Correct. And, and to that point, they've optimized the two or three things that they source to the nth degree including recycling all of that stuff. So you're not extracting new materials from the earth. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's, it's very, you're saying that exactly right. And I think that's something that people don't realize. And it's, it's a process that's been around for a very long time. So like we said in the beginning, it's not like 
there's a ton of room to innovate on the manufacturing process, right? Right, It's right. been along for a long time, but there's always ways to become even more sustainable or manage our supply chain better or do other things. Um, but it is really interesting to see these kind of old plants and how there's really no waste and they run 24-7. Oh. And right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, again, when people, when you peel the onion and you go back to some of the stuff, it's like, it's fascinating how efficient these things are because, you know, people just don't have the full story, right? Right. So and the I question think- I have for this is, though, specifically is, does GP measure, which they may not, their their ability for circularity? Because to yeah. me, I immediately start to go towards, okay, so you, again, you're sourcing two or three things yeah. and your goal is not to pull things out of the ground. Right. You don't waste anything in your manufacturing line, but your users send back to you in a circular fashion everything that you reuse and pump back into the demand that you see on an annual basis. So, you know, you should be able to, they should be able to measure, you know, maybe you're five, six, seven, eight, maybe they're 30% circular right now, moving to 50%. My guess is, um, without even knowing the numbers, that they're probably, if I looked at the world's average of manufacturers, most everyone, well, I know the world is around 8% circular based on, uh, a UN report, National Geographic stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just use it as the baseline average. I I would guess GP is like 20, 30, 40% circular and getting better every year yeah. because of their background in this stuff. But I don't know if they've ever talked about that. That's a great question. I love. I would love to know that stat as well and how it's increased over the years at GP. Uh-huh. I know that the circular economy has been a big focus. We have a group called KBX, which is our Coke logistics group. Okay. And I know that one of their kind of pillars or what they're focused on um, when they're supporting GP and actually the other Coke companies, GP mm-hmm. probably it's got to have the biggest supply chain and most amount of suppliers, I would imagine, with 30K suppliers. But um, I know one of their biggest focuses is the circular economy, and I know they've been piloting some initiatives there. Oh, cool. I wish I knew a little bit more, but I would I would kind of align myself with what you said, right? Like 20 to 40% probably has increased over the last few years and oh, probably I... is going to continue to increase as we care about this more and more, you know? So my, my, my only pitch, you can run with it. Uh, whoever runs uh, marketing or PR at GP or Coke is, you know, work on that circularity quotient right. and that story. Cause it's a powerful story. I suspect I totally they're well along those lines and, and cause they could leave about it now. Well, and they know? could lead by example. Right. right. And the reason I'm kind of touting this is we've, you know, we've launched a, a, the idea of around getting the world to 50% circular, but it's going to require people like GP or the portfolio of Coke or other manufacturers to start kind of publishing these things. Yep. And it's, you know, once you start doing that, everyone's going to jump in and start measuring it. And then we start seeing the data and the transparency that we all want. Right. I love that. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. And I think it's an attainable goal. You know, I think, think, right. It's people think it's so far away and it it really, it's not, and it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Okay. So anyway, so back to, these things always go where they need to go. So back to GP, back to the experience there. So, okay, good, good, good. So now let's, let's cascade though forward a little bit. Like how did you Mm -hmm. then get pulled into Coke? Cause you sort of Got roped into GP, started looking yep. at innovation, then all of a sudden Coke comes along and says, okay, well, we're the bigger parent. We yeah. want you to come look at this at a broader level. How did, what happened there? Yeah. One of my favorite things in selling points, by the way, about Coke is that you can move around inside of Coke and you're considered an internal employee, which makes things, as you know, just so much easier um, to move inside a company. So this team, KDT, Coke Disruptive Technologies, started just right around the time I had started at Georgia Pacific, maybe a few months later. So I think 2017, so about three and a half years ago now. Mm -hmm. And they had been actually working closely with us through the supply chain Mm -hmm. innovation initiative. And um, they were kind of working with us because we were good at scouting, you know, some startups to work with. And it was like a perfect pipeline of companies to send them. So I had known some of the team members for the past three years and had, have always had my eyes on venture capital because I've been, I've worked with venture capitalists. I've worked with startups and I've worked with large companies and corporate venture capital firms, but I had never flipped to the side to actually being on a venture capital team. Mm -hmm. And so um, the timing just kind of lined up where they had this really awesome job opportunities called the director of engagement. And it's really this idea of like, how do we manage our network 
better and more efficiently Mm -hmm. and do that through like communication and branding, but also just our natural networks that we have with other startups, with our other co-companies to Mm -hmm. originate and find um, startups to work with. And what I love about KDT that's different about any venture capital firm is, you know, we're not just looking to invest in companies and make money. I mean, I want to be clear. That's everyone's goal, right? And yeah, right. See, I mean, right. right. Let's, yeah, yeah, right. We're capitalists goal. at heart. It's okay. Yeah, it's not we right, all right. know. We all be an environmentalist that. and a capitalist. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive, right? They're not. No, yeah, they're not. Correct, correct. But we're also looking to transform Coke Industries. So, right. you know, being on this team is really a cool way to say like, hey, there's these companies out there that are doing A, B, and C. Not only should we invest in them, we need to work with them. And so that is what really stands out about KDT um, when I compare it to just other firms, other corporate venture capital firms, and either uh, other innovation initiatives is we really want to be in a mutually beneficial partnership with the companies that we invest in and work with. Totally. And that's, uh, so now is KDT uh, to use the acronym, uh, is that the only venture arm of Coke or it, are there? It's a good question. So there's about five or six teams that they're not all venture teams, but they're investment teams. So maybe an M&A, growth equity, venture, we're probably the earliest stage. Um, right. We focus on the earliest stage. So there's five or six teams that all roll up under um, Coke investment groups. So we we kind of all roll up under that one group. What's interesting about that, and I, I again, this is just me kind of brainstorming here a little bit, but as you describe that, and I'm putting my former finance venture capital private equity hat on here for a second. What you're describing though is one of the challenges in the venture capital private equity world is there's not there's a gap in the middle between venture capital and private equity. Yeah. And you're describing five teams within Coke that probably was better known 30 years ago is more of a private equity, you know, M&A type company yeah, for sure. that then has segued now into the, you know, we'll call early stage venture capital and then has the layers to support the kind of my, you know, the uh, size of companies you're looking after early investments to medium stage company investments to full on acquisitions, right. right. Even private right. equity turnarounds that you might not yep. want to acquire. And that therefore you have the breadth of investment capabilities all contained within one firm but, you know, which is really interesting. I mean, I, you know, because each firm, you, know, you go out to KKR and Texas Pacific Group, your big dogs in the private equity, or you go to uh, Colbert, Kravis and Roberts, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in, or not Colbert, I'm sorry, um, KPMG, uh, Kleiner yeah. Perkins, you know, it's Venture Capital or Andreessen or whatever, you know, and I kind of specialize in one of those areas, but not yep. the breadth. You guys have it, but in five different teams. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's really cool that we have kind of those different capabilities that we can offer to our partners or people that we're going to invest in through the mm-hmm. lifespan of their company. And uh-huh. um, I, I also think we can't underestimate how much being privately held and being able to say, hey, we can take a strong capital position with you today, right now, but we it could be for the long term. You sure. know, it's... That I don't take for granted at all because that is just... Especially now as you know, companies take longer to go public or you're investing earlier. We really are a partner truly for, for the long term, And I think that makes such a difference to um, the entrepreneurs and CEOs that we're partnering with. And here's, and again, another, another, we'll get another blurb here for Coke on this one. Um, Again, I don't think most people, they may have heard the the, the, the Coke, you know, Coke brothers, but not necessarily Coke industries. And therefore, there's a disconnect between actually what the what the organization does, which again has a storied history, is yeah. one of the you know if it's not top two, top three privately owned companies in all of the world, right? And yeah. You're putting up against Cargill, Coke, mm-hmm. Bechtel, you know, are kind of in that in that you know those are the three that I normally think because I, I actually did a stint at Cargill at one point, so that's where okay, I got in yeah. this whole like largest privately owned company in the world, Similar, which yeah. never even heard of. Right, they run yeah. everything. Like it's like shocking how much they're involved. In. And, I don't, and this one, just to get a little, and I'll let you give the overview, but Coke employs over 122,000 people. I mean, yes. it's a massive organization. It's huge. Right? It's huge. So, you know, maybe you can just give a quick blurb on, you know, no, just Coke itself. Because it's, it, it's like some people, it's like, I wish people knew more about it. And then hearing, you know, what you're talking about philosophically is also like, oh my God, like that's just that common yeah. humility and their approach is so refreshing. Right. It's so aligned with, I think, how many of us want to work. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm with you when I was in Chicago and I met Georgia Pacific and they told me they were owned by Coke. I was like, 
I, I just think of the Coke brothers or what really? a lot of people do to me is think I'm saying Coca-Cola, which <laughs> I'm a huge fan of, but I'm not, that's not the Coke I work for. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so it is just this massive company. And I think we've got so many different businesses. Like we've mm-hmm. got, um, if you know, Infor, so a huge right. enterprise software business that I don't think a lot of people understand that, you know, Coke owns, we've got Georgia Pacific, um, we've got Guardian Glass. So we're in the glass business. We've got Invista, which is fibers, mm-hmm. um, Flint Hill Resources. I think we do fertilizers too. So we've got this gambit of companies. And um, I had the opportunity to kind of hear the whole Coke history and how, you know, one acquisition led us to create more capabilities, which then allowed us to create another acquisition. So we're very capability-based. And once we build up capabilities in specific industries, um, that kind of leads us to what we would maybe acquire next or grow next. Um, So it is this disparate companies, but um, really good at putting in the right processes in place and um, definitely the right culture, which is... Mm -hmm. And just Coke really has cool to see. Been around for a while too. Most people, I mean, we're nearing yeah. seventy-five years in their history. Like they're, yes, they've been yeah. around for a while. Yeah, and privately held, right? Started right. by Mr. Coke, and right. you know that whole story is really awesome. And then you've yeah. got Char- Charles Coke still here. Yep. I think he's in his mid-eighties and yep. does an awesome job leading the company and the vision and just our overall culture. He just wrote right. another book. I think yeah, it was oh, yeah. It's year. like the guy doesn't slow down. You're like, no, really, dude? Like cr- you're yeah. 80 what? And you're like writing books and doing all right. that sort of stuff. It's pretty amazing. Right. Let's go back now then. Okay, so so Coke Industries, big, huge, been around forever, like Georgia Pacific. But then also let's go back to you. you know, you're kind of, again, in this vanguard coming in, establishing yourself in the sort of supply chain investment. You're in this disruptive technology group, venture arm of Coke. What are you, and the engagement, how do you summarize what you guys look for in mm-hmm. disruptive technologies? Like you're not going after pharmaceuticals, I don't think, let's say. Right. Okay. Yeah, we've got- Or maybe some. you are, I don't know. But I, I kind of think you're a little bit more narrowly focused than just you know disrupting everything. Right. Yeah. It's funny. We, um, you know, like I think our website said like we're industry and stage agnostic. Um, but we had just, we just went through this kind of exercise where we picked out our themes. Like what mm-hmm. themes are we really focused on? How does it line up with our portfolio today? What does our portfolio look like in the future? Right. And so we do have, we have a life science and healthcare theme, which, um, actually has been growing the last couple of years, I think, especially with COVID and just sure. kind of all the new, the new focus, right, on on life sciences and healthcare. Industry 4.0, which includes supply chain, has always been a really big focus for us. Mm-hmm. A lot of those are really awesome because we can tap our SMEs inside of Coke and say, hey, we're looking at this company. Would you use it? Why not? Do sure. you want to use it? What's the next best alternative? So we're able to kind of like testing on that. So we have themes that we focus on. We do say we're industry or we're stage agnostic because, you know, we just want to focus on being the best partner to you. So Mm -hmm. I don't think we've ever done like pre-seed or seed because, you know, we don't have a ton of capabilities to help you kind of start up there. But if you're looking to get your first couple customers or grow your customers, that's where we're a really good partner because, we'll take you through Coke Labs, which is basically the ability to use Coke as your testing ground. We'll take you through Coke Labs and help you get connected to the right people. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're also looking for companies that are going to transform Coke. So if it's a company that we think, gosh, we could work with this company in some capacity, or we can work with this company in 10 years in some capacity, we will make that investment. So I love that we have that filter because that I think... Um, that's probably the most motivating to me is like, hey, what's going to be mutually beneficial for this company and for Coke in the long term? And so, you know, our employees love working with these new companies. They love when we say like, hey, want to check out this company with us? I think it opens their eyes to all these new opportunities. And then it also allows us to transform our business instead of getting disrupted, right? And being one of those companies in the S&P totally. 500 that's gone in 20 years. Right. Exactly. And, and we see this all the time and, and they're, they're 
Yes, the, 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 the Brea tar pits of corporate history are littered with the bones of these companies that, you know, did not realize that they were getting sucked in and becoming obsoleted. Um, right. Again, back to hubris and arrogance and all yeah. that other sort of stuff. Right. Right. But let's, let's, let's zero in a little bit on supply chain in particular. Like, how do you guys, is that a theme or is that a subset to Industry 4.0 for you guys? Yeah, so supply chain is a what we call um, a micro theme under the macro theme. I know that's going into deep detail. So it is one of our themes. It just is a subset under that okay. industry 4.0. Okay. So we do have a few companies in our portfolio. Um, probably the most relevant one would be Trackonomy. So kind of the name says it all, right? Tracking mm-hmm. your supply chain, giving you that better visibility mm-hmm. that's required to actually innovate and make changes, understand how sustainable you actually are, manage your suppliers. Um, They're a really cool company that um, we made an investment in, I think a year, a couple of years ago. Um, They're based in California. And then we've got a few other companies too that are kind of related to the supply chain. Um, Percepto uses drones to inspect and kind of sends that data back to the supply chain. So we've got a lot of companies that are kind of in that in that bucket, if you will. Got it. And so how about you, your perspective, Mary-Kate, given your experiences on what you think, and forget Coke for a second here, but from your perspective, like where do you, where, what do you see that's really kind of big in supply chain right now? And, and, and this can be, you know, when I'm talking supply chain, I'm, I'm using the umbrella now of everything what we historically have called logistics to payments to actual Asset yeah. movements and transactions to, you know, assets management, you know, all the things you're, you know, that could go into this. What, what are you seeing thematically from your own perspective on what's yeah. big in supply chain right now? I, number one, I I hear this get talked about all the time and I agree with it is visibility. Sure. And, um, you know, we've seen stats, I think it was in a report we saw last year that said only 6% of firms feel they have full visibility of their supply chain. And without that visibility, I don't know how you could perform sustainable practices or really understand what your suppliers are doing at any given moment. I I just don't know without visibility how much, how impactful you could be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think visibility is rightfully a huge focus in supply chain. And then I'm just always interested in this you know, the common thread through my career has been like the power of a connected network. If you can have people work together, you know, that's political science. And then that was the startup I did is if you can have people work better together in this connected network where they're sharing information at the right time, um, you can have better outcomes, which is truly just, that is the supply chain, right? That's all the supply chain is, is a connected network. Right. And so, I'm grateful, you know, one silver lining of COVID, one silver lining has been that people care about the supply chain more than they ever have, right? Like people actually ask me questions about my job, right? And they're like, (laughs) what's, why do we have no toilet paper? What's going on, right? Right. Um, But I think that connected network, the visibility and just the sheer numbers that go into managing your supply chain, I think it's 65% of the cost of doing total business for any given manufacturer comes down to their supply chain. I think people are realizing, wow, if we could innovate on this just a little bit, um, we could really have a big impact. As a practitioner, I'm with you 100%, right? I mean, this is, you're, you're saying, I think all the things. So first and foremost, transparency and visibility. Yeah. Right? You can't do anything without knowing what's going on. Right. Imagine right. your doctor prescribing you a medication without doing some tests and x-rays and right. whatever else. You know what I mean? Like, we'll just try this. I think this will work. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> Let's uh, see. it doesn't quite work that way. You need, right. you know, more data, you need transparency, you need to isolate yep. where the issues are. Um, and technology's evolved in a way that you can connect the whole supply chain. Right. Yep. And I think one of the interesting things I like to point out is, you know, there's this dichotomy between the consumer supply chain which all of us benefit from, we have two you know, dualities. You know, we are all consumers and yeah. we're you know, oftentimes business people simultaneously. Right. You know, we all have gotten used to the fact that I can go to Amazon right now while we're talking, yeah. order something, yeah. and I can see where it is, when it is, you know, all the way to the point that it gets to my door. And but you then don't I want go to pay for shipping either. <laughs> correct, right? And then yeah. I get to my enterprise. Yeah. I don't know where anything is. I, I mean, I nothing. Know. 
you know, I mean, I was, I, I, in my experience, uh, you know, doing this, I, I mean, I was shocked when I started at eBay and I asked people like, okay, you know, how many, you know, routers do we have? How many servers do we have? It took me months to get answers. This is a high tech. Figure it out. Right. 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 Um, so, you know, it, it's great to hear because that is absolutely, you can't do anything unless you have transparency and data. Right. Right. And then, but then you kind of cascade towards like, okay, but the connected and that I want to talk to a little bit on and unpack a little bit because you're touching on something that this is where the technology and the innovation starts coming in. You can connect all these pieces, yeah. right? So transparency right. And, and visibility is an outcome of having this highly connected network, Yep. right? You can do it yourself or you can begin to do it as a part of these new emerging tools and platforms and things that are that connecting all yeah. these supply chains. What do you guys see from your point of view? What are you seeing in that new realm of kind of, you know, because this is not an ERP we're talking about anymore, right? S- no, SAP right. or Oracle or Coupa is not a supply chain solution. No, it's not, right? right. And it's actually, I was just, we just had implemented a new ERP solution at GP to kind of take down the number of systems we had. And, you know, it, that was more to me process optimization, um, right. where supply chain, having all these different tools and all these different companies that can help you connect your network and your suppliers and do it through blo- do it through a bunch of different blockchain and all these other things, sure. right? It'll be interesting, I think, to see how the next few years we're managing these large supply chain networks. Mm-hmm. The one thing I will say, and, and the one thing that I think requires even a connected network before you get to a connected network, and I'll explain, is that it's really hard to get any supply chain VP or supply chain director to kind of take a leap and take a chance in testing out a new technology because you don't want to disrupt your supply chain. It's matter of fact, it's probably the last thing you want to do. So I think having um, these connected networks of these trusted relationships between large companies and startups um, to say, hey, we're working together really on something really small and then we're going to grow and then maybe we'll make an investment and then we'll grow even more. Um, I think that that's, that's the way that Coke and a lot of other large companies are going to be innovating is like Mm -hmm. create these relationships so you can trust these companies and then we'll try these pilot projects and we'll grow. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what's going to be the best way to manage the networks in the future, but I know that we're going to have to try probably a number of different ways to manage those supply chain networks in the future for full visibility, true full visibility. 100%. 100%. And in, in, I'll go to, and I'll link it to you. There's one um, uh, uh, fabulous infographic. I'll send it to you and you can you know, share it with whoever you want. But it was a, in National Geographic written by a guy named Robert Kunzig, K-U-N-Z-I-T. Okay. Um, I'll send you the link to it. But the, 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 the nitty gritty of it is, is it's the first infographic I've ever seen showing the world's entire aggregate supply chain. That's cool. And what it does is it shows us that we pull out of the ground 107 gigatons of stuff. And it's basically split between food and materials. Yeah. It shows how it cascades through the whole system, through manufacturing, where it ends up. Yeah. And it shows how it's circular, right? So the point, the reason I bring that up all the time is goes back to your kind of comment here on all the thing on the themes of uh, connectedness, transparency, right? Kind of connectedness leads to transparency. I think that infographic represents the end game of what you're describing, meaning yes. we all want to see the world supply chain in aggregate. I would love right. to see, and I'm not picking on Georgia Pacific, I'm just saying in general, but Georgia Pacific, I would like to see those two or three sources of things that they you know, uh, pull out of the ground, right? right? How that gets manufactured into the thousands of products and then how that yeah. returns circularly so we can measure that circular impact on actually pull, not no longer pulling things out of the ground, right? Right, yeah. and Because if that paper right. stuff is like, that's 90% circular or recyclable right. or whatever the it number is, is yeah. right? Because I think it's something like that. It I is mean, really like high. Copper, like I know copper is 90, the copper is 97% um, recyclable. Wow, I didn't know that. This is another metric that I think is also going to be fascinating to kind of pull out, like what's this recyclability of the material that I'm starting with? Of the material with, sourcing, right? Yeah. Because if, right. It's, if it's no, it's not very recyclable. Well, maybe you should look for an alternative source. It. Yeah, right. If it's highly recyclable, like ninety percent plus, then let's make sure that we're using we're everything, managing this to be circular. right yeah. until it, it gets right. to zero. Because then, asymptotically, it will go to zero at some point, right? Right. Um, right. But 
at the moment, what we can all agree on is we're not recycling enough, right? Right. And and that's going to have a huge impact on sustainability, our footprint, you know, if we just stop pulling things out of the ground, right? So all this, again, goes back to, you know, how do you begin to have this conversation with people, show the art of the possible? It's through these types of, like you said, transparent conversations around what's really happening. Once people see it, they're like, oh, my God, like, you know, this isn't that big of a, you know, this isn't that hard. Like we should. No, it's attainable. And if you can measure it, right, then you can set a goal for yourself the next year and the year after that. Right. I love that. I'm looking forward to seeing that infographic. I have not seen that yet. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in the, in the link while we're chatting here. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, you know, from pregnancy to now infographics, national geographic, I knew (laughs) we were going to get along seamlessly here, but uh, we covered a lot. (laughs) Oh yeah. But no, so, so now, okay. So, so now thinking about all that sort of stuff, kind of look forward a little bit, right? So you've talked a little bit where the innovation's coming, the different thing, transparency, connected networks, you know, supply chain, obviously, you know, and I'm going to ask sort of a random question. How do you guys view the new emerging supply chain routes that you're seeing in space? Like SpaceX, there's a little bit out there now. So like yeah. the SpaceX, the Astros, I mean, this right. is, you're seeing the early formations of the next great supply chain. Yep. No, it's moving true. into space. And do you guys even talk about that sort of stuff? Yeah, that's um, that's funny that you asked that because we have just started to get in the space of space, I guess. Um, and yeah, we're right. seeing more and more companies to review for investments in that area. And yep. so um, that is across not just KDT, but kind of across our other investment groups. We are starting to do kind of the market research and define the opportunity, right? And I haven't thought about it in t- in terms of supply chain, but that's a really awesome filter to put on it because I haven't I haven't really put that filter on it. It's just been one of those things that five years ago seemed so out there, and now it's like it's really not. You know, it's really not that it's, far away from us, right? It, like not, it's, not at all. And in fact, no. uh, everyone sees and talks because he's always in the news. Elon Musk, of course, and SpaceX right. and what he's doing, and. You know, he guy's brilliant, huge fan. You know, I, I mean, he's still quirky, but you know, right. the guy's just unbelievable. Um, yeah, and, super and smart. He's, I think, people. The story with him is they've, they, you know, he's sort of been talking so much about uh, populating our Mars. Yeah, it gets lost a little bit in the shuffle. There's actually building a supply chain system. However, yeah. go look at uh, Aster, uh, Astra uh, Space. I think it is A S T R. They just went public on a SPAC. Chris Kemp is the CEO, and I, funny enough, he uh, his big career, middle of his career, was inventing a bunch of open source software platforms. Like, guy's just a brilliant software guy. Yeah. Now he's running a space based uh, cool. delivery system, and yeah. it's, go, it's literally going, you know, nuts. But he frames up everything in the context of becoming a supply chain company, not a that's rocket company or a spaceship company, but it's a supply chain company. Just yeah, that's, forging that's so into the cool. new realm of what is going to be the supply chain of the future. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I just hadn't kind of put that filter on it. It's true. When you think about supply chain, it's like supply chain is the world, right? And it's just absolutely the next space is the space that we're all thinking about. And that'd be really cool. Yeah. I would love to dive a little bit deeper into that. And I know right. we have, you know, what's cool inside of Coke, we've got this platform where we can search for subject matter experts, which is really cool. Cause like you said, with 122,000 employees, you know, if we don't know something about space, <laughs> we, we can find, I could search like, right. Hey, who used to work at uh, SpaceX, you know, and right. there's, there's going to be some people. So yep. um, I love that. We're kind of thinking about that. I'm so excited to see what investments happen in that, in that industry over the next five years. Well, let me, let me ask you this now. Again, going back to you, sort of where you are on the professional curve, kind of coming in, the vanguard of a new generation of supply chain people. And I'm going to kind of, you know, a bit of a leading question here, but we've talked about sustainability. We've talked about supply chain. How do, you, how do you view your colleagues or peers coming into supply chain now? And how are they viewing it both from a technical critique point of view, from a sustainability point of view? I mean, those are two big themes that, you know, someone who's a relatively recent graduate, but, you know, not last year, right. but, you know, relatively right. recent, you know, I think there's a big rude awakening when you get into this world of manufacturing supply chain, A, how big it is, but yeah. then B, how, how lacking it is in technology and innovation. It's changing, obviously, because people like you, 
But then also even the sustainability thing, like it's like, you right. know, I mean, hey, let's be honest, people coming out of school in the last 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, sustainability is a big deal. Right. Uh, you Huge know, so, deal. Right. So how do, you, how do you view that amongst your peer group that's coming into supply chain now? How do they view both tech and sustainability? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is, you know, I'm someone that didn't think I would have a career in supply chain. And so probably the first thing that I've realized is that because the supply chain is so vast and there's so many things that go into a supply chain is that you need people with a lot of different capabilities um, to come and work in the supply chain, right? Like I would say my capability is partnerships and Mm -hmm. managing networks. And Mm -hmm. I've always had a penchant to new technology that's emerging. So that's lined up well, but Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really think that that would, I thought it, I should go into political science, right? So I didn't think it would lead me into supply chain, but there's such a value in managing the partnerships in a supply chain and creating a community and supply chain. I think what's been really cool is I've managed a few people that are younger than me. So people in their early and mid twenties who have gone to school fully for supply chain and sustainability. And what's really awesome about sustainability is that it merges people's passions with their career. And so, you know, I think of a a young man that I managed over at GP and he was just really into sustainability. That was kind of his brand. And he went to school for supply chain and sustainability in Michigan. And so I think that this is going to be kind of an industry that grows and one that a lot of people will see a lot of fulfillment out of mm-hmm. um, as they kind of blend their passion with sustainability and supply chain. And, you know, mm-hmm. now there's there's more and more programs in supply chain, it seems like, every time you lift up your head in, no, in these colleges. I mean, they're propagating all over the place. And there's just yeah. more and more coming. And, and I think, you know, again, it's one of these types of things where... Um, I mean, there's another industry that I'm sort of completely on a personal level involved in aviation. There's a big mm-hmm. pilot shortage. So you're seeing universities actually yeah. launch aviation programs that never had them before just to fill that gap. Right. And hence, but supply chain is huge. It has been, there've been yeah. great robust programs at like the University of Arkansas, you, even Illinois, University of Illinois, urbana Yeah. you know, it's got a very strong one, um, but they're starting to pop up in more and more places. Also, again, yeah. to fill the need of what the world's needing right now, or the markets or businesses are needing. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that's awesome. And I love that um, people are getting this actual direct training in supply chain. And I would still encourage people that didn't have the direct training to understand that there's other jobs in supply chain that are, you know, right on the cusp and we still need all those different skill sets. Like one skill set you and I talked about today is storytelling and communicating. How do you communicate the story of your supply chain? That's so important. And I don't think we have enough people focus on that just in general in supply chain. Right. We need a little bit more. We need some hype people for the supply chain world, right? We need more of those infographics (laughs) and cool videos, right? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let me also be conscious of time because, you know, an hour goes by in a blink of an eye. It did go by Uh, fast. Right? Uh, Yeah. uh, It always happens. I knew it would be, I'd love to, you know, we're obviously going to stay in touch. This is the first of many conversations. I put a link for you with the National Geographic thing uh, in there. You can have that. Um, but just a pleasure. I mean, so thank you so much for taking the time, you know, and also under, under duress, <laughs> I know. So even though you showed nothing, there was no hint of any babiness going on. Yeah. So. All good over here. Yeah, so far. Yeah, you're Who good. Knows. Maybe the baby was nice and calm and listening yeah, and taking this in the information, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think this, this was good for the baby. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for everything. It's really, really been an awesome and a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks so much for having me on the show and um, look forward to listening to all the future shows too. Okay, Mary-Kate, thanks so much. All right, you take care. This is Richard Donaldson. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about the episode or topics in supply chain you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at supplychainnext at request.com. And while you're at it, why not check out the Request platform at supplychain.request.com. Request allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud, collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at www.request.com.